All right, everybody um, that's left in the room, I'm not sure how many people are now, but I can have some quiet and speak. Nobody can hear me if you're talking over me. So, so, so is, uh, the next topic is, and Andrea Barnhart is going to be discussing natural hazards on a budget. Is Andrea in the room? Okay, Andrea, are you, are you going to come up front here? Why don't you just come up front here and then you can address. Yeah, I think you're picked up on Zoom easier too. All right, so my name is Andrea Barnhurst, and um, I'm going to talk about disaster preparedness for all on a budget. Um, so I was not raised around disaster preparedness at all. It was not something we talked about in my house. Um, you would have thought so since I did live through the 89 quake in California that dropped the Bay Bridge, but it wasn't something we talked about. When I moved up to Oregon, again, my parents did not talk about disaster preparedness in any form whatsoever. Um, you know, living in Oregon, there's the occasional earthquake because I've lived through those. We have ice storms and snowstorms, but again, never something we lived with. Um, it was actually not until I talked, I married my husband that we even talked about it because he was raised to learn all about disaster preparedness. But when we got married, we were on a very strict budget. We were living paycheck to paycheck. And every time he said something that we needed to buy or we needed to have, it went in one year and out the other. Because when you don't have the money to do things, you don't think about it. And he kept pressing and pressing and we never did anything about it. And then I went legally blind. And again, it was even more out of reach because we were living even tighter of a budget. And now I had a vision impairment that would totally change things for both of us. Um, so it actually was not until about two years ago that I was attending a convention conference for work. And they had breakout sessions throughout the day. It was a virtual convention since it was you know peak COVID times. And I was looking through the list of breakout sessions and none of them, none of them whatsoever piqued my interest. So unfortunately, but fortunately, I grabbed the one that was the least worst of, of the bunch, which ended up being disaster preparedness. I listened to some amazing presentations. I listened to the speakers talking about living through the Mackenzie River fire living through the um, Umatilla floods. I heard presentations on go bags. I heard presentations on food storage and all of this stuff. But again, throughout the entire presentation, they kept saying, you have to have this and you have to have this and you need to put this in your car and you need to put this you know, at work and you need to drive to these places. And I could have easily put, you know, it went in one ear and out the other. But this time it was a bit different for me. I ended up listening to all of everything what people were saying. And at the end, I ended up writing the people who were presenting and saying, you know, this was really great, except this does not work for a visually impaired or a blind person. And here is why, you know. We don't have cars. Some of us do not live with people who are sighted. 
many of us live on a budget. You know, we can't afford to buy hundreds and thousands of dollars of disaster preparedness stuff. And when you have to walk with a cane or a guide dog, everything has to be hands-free. And what you're saying to me to buy and to have and to put in my car does not work. And they wrote back to me and said, thank you so much. They said, we're in the process of working with the Lions Club on this great disaster preparedness kit for the blind. Uh, two years later, I've still not seen that list. And I've been working with these people for two years. So about a year ago, I decided to take this on myself. And I decided to start branching out and reaching out to my community, my blind community here, to tell them how they can be prepared. Because I'm finding that you can't just buy things that work for us. Not everything is accessible. And people who are sighted do not realize it. So that is why I have started to do this. I have branched out into different organizations to talk. Um, I have gone through now the online CERT training, which is community response, community emergency response team training. And I am working with my local county to become a CERT volunteer. And from there, I've actually talked to him and he wants me to talk to other sighted people so that people understand how much we are different than they are in regards to disaster preparedness. So in my presentations, I've been doing a couple different things, which is one of the big things I've been doing is what I like to call the top five things to do to be more prepared that cost little or nothing. This is kind of a list that I've worked through and really thought about after listening to presentations of what can we do that doesn't cost anything or cost very little that we can be more prepared if we ever have to be in a natural disaster. So here we go. <laughs> the top five things I like to call be more prepared. Number one is to have a plan. Have a plan to know the plan, to practice the plan. This plan looks different for every single person, even if you live in the same house. But the important thing to remember when thinking about a plan is you have to kind of think of two different plans. You have to think of the plan if you're going to have to evacuate your home and the plan if you're going to have to stay in your home. Um, knowing this stuff, practicing it will save time, will save stress. And it will save just a lot of confusion if you ever have to evacuate. Um, I have personal experience from this because about a year ago, there was a chance that my home, my husband and I, plus our, my guide dog, was going to have to evacuate our home. My husband and I had talked briefly about what was going to happen if we ever had to evacuate. And we had at least a basic plan. I knew where we were going to evacuate to, even though if it wasn't the place my husband thought we were going to evacuate to. He does drive, thankfully, but I knew what we were going to grab if we were literally told we had to get out of our house in a minute. I knew exactly what he was going to grab. I knew exactly what I was going to grab, and I knew where we were going to get to the car. And I knew extras. If we had maybe 15 minutes to evacuate our house, I knew the extras we were all going to grab. And that saved a lot of stress in that little bit of time between are we going to have to evacuate and whether or not we would have gotten the evacuation notice. 
We did not have to evacuate. It was not because of a forest fire. It was actually due to a propane tank being on fire in the neighbor's house. But we were not sure if those flames were going to reach our house. And it saved a lot of stress. But what I've learned is that if I travel with my husband, I evacuate one way. But if I travel by myself, I have to evacuate a completely different way. And I'm sorry, I can't walk three days worth of stuff with my guide dog. So I will not be evacuating like my husband wants me to. <laughs> um, my goal is to get to the nearest place that I can find my resources. That is the fire department, the local uh, resource center, or the local emergency management station. Now, I live in a rural town, so my closest place is going to be the fire department. Because I know if I hit the fire department and I say, I'm blind, I need to get to someplace safe, they're going to probably help me. And But if I was going to evacuate with my husband, who has a car, we'd be definitely getting out of town. So the plan looks different for everybody. Like I said, it looks different if I travel with my husband or if I travel by myself. And I have to think of both of those when it comes to traveling and evacuating my area. But then again, that looks different if I'm at work because if I'm at work, I have to travel to a different place. So it's a bit more complicated, but just knowing that and knowing where supplies may be for myself and my guide dog saves me a lot of stress. Number two, which is something I learned from one of those amazing presentations, um, is that if you ever have, if you ever lose your property in any kind of natural disaster, the first thing the insurance company is going to do before they even give you money to replace any of your stuff, is they're going to have you write a list of everything that was in your house. That is condition, color, uh, it could be quantity, everything. And it is surprising to me when I heard the gentleman talk about how many things he forgot. As a sighted person, how many things he forgot to put on his list and it took him a long time. And he told me he wishes he would have had a list started because at least he would have been at a point that he could have started. So number two on my list is to be able to either write a list, take photos or a video and save them on the cloud because you may lose your computer, but you may not lose the cloud. And this could take, you know, some help. I understand that. Um, but anything is better than nothing because what the gentleman told me is he first write his list, then his insurance agent said, okay, now do it again. Then his insurance agent said, write a floor plan of your house and tell me what's in every single drawer of your house. Then he said, now I want you to go on the social media and look at every single picture to write this complete list. So anything you can do to be just a little bit farther in the process is gonna be beneficial and save you time. And hopefully you'll get that money faster to replace all your stuff. Number three, which kind of goes along with this is to have copies both in written form and in electronic form, maybe on the cloud, maybe in a jump drive of your important documents, your insurance policies, your medical insurance cards, if you do happen to live with somebody who is sighted and they have a car, your you know car insurance, because these are things we forget and we won't have time to go into that 
file cabinet and look through the file cabinet if we have to evacuate in just a couple minutes. But to have those with you and available, you know, because I don't know, I don't know, does anybody remember their insurance policy of their homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance? Because I don't. I may know who it's with, but that's about it. <laughs> so have copies, electronic and um, hard copies, because if there's a natural disaster, we may lose power. And I know we're all accustomed to having power and having, you know, the computer systems, but there may be a chance we don't. Um, number four, have a first aid kit. I think if you're going to have anything, a first aid kit is probably the most important thing, honestly, because you never know when you're going to get injured or your animals are going to get injured. And a first aid kit does not need to be the $25 one from Costco. Okay. It doesn't have to be. I actually found some really simple first aid kits that are pretty thorough for $5 at Walmart. This could even be a little Ziploc baggie that you have some Neosporin, some gauze, and some band-aids in. Think about your animals also when you're thinking about a first aid kit. Because guess what? You can't put a band-aid on a dog or a cat. Doesn't work that way. So they have to have something special. So almost everywhere I go, I have one at work. I have multiple at home. I have one in my go bag. And I also have one on me at all times if I'm carrying my backpack. I have a very small first aid kit, waterproof in my backpack, because although we live in Oregon. And <laughs> I have everything I need in case my guide dog and I get injured. You know, at least the basics. And number five out of my top five is to have your medical information for every person and every animal in your house written down. I can tell you firsthand from me when my daughter was very young, she's now 21. Thankfully, she made it through this experience. We had a near-death experience with her. And when the ambulance came up to me and was trying to get important document and more important information about my young daughter who was two months old, I froze. Couldn't tell them anything. And I, I couldn't tell them anything because I was in shock. My daughter was not breathing and I didn't know what to do. If I would have had written documents on my daughter, I could have just handed it to them. And who's to say that somebody may not find you unconscious on the floor and have no idea who you are. They may not know about your medical information and, you know, or your family member could be in shock or injured at the same time. And these are important to have also in print form because again, we are all accustomed to having my chart and everything through our medical offices. But what happens if that system goes down? All of your medical information is gone at least temporarily. And I know at least for me, my eye doctors have told me because my pupils react differently. It is super important. I always carry medical information on me because if I ever became unconscious or in an accident, those paramedics would think I have brain damage because of the way my pupils react. And he said, it is always super important that people know that my pupils don't react right, and I may not have great damage because I may have more important things to think about than whether or not I have brain damage <laughs> in an accident. So medical information, have it around your house, have it in, you know, backpacks or anything that you might be traveling with. I always carry that stuff when I travel. I have a little envelope that I put into my suitcase just in case. 
because you never know. This includes any vaccinations. This includes my allergies. This includes medical information for myself, for my guide dog. Um, and this includes important phone numbers for my eye doctors. Eye doctors specifically, because they are my eyes. <laughs> and so um, I carry this with me all the time because you never know when you're going to be in a situation when you can't talk or the people around you don't know anything about you. So that is my top five. And I would say like, those are the top five things that if you can do those things, you'll be just more prepared because we never know what's coming at us when there's a disaster. There's a couple other things I would like to talk about today and they go a little bit extensive. I'm gonna try to keep them a bit short because I know it can get overwhelming. And believe me, my husband being raised in disaster preparedness, oh, talking to him sometimes is very overwhelming. <laughs> Even for me, who's been doing this now for two years and learning so much. Um, one thing I do want to talk, since I'm talking in Oregon, I've recently found some new information in regards to wildfires. And I know two years ago, the wildfires were raging. And that fire map was not accessible. And many of us struggled to even find out how close that fire was to us. We could get the alerts. We knew what stage we were evacuating with. And many of us had plans that if we got to stage two, even though we didn't have to evacuate, we were going to evacuate anyway. Many of us may have been even evacuating at that very first evacuation notice. But I've recently discovered something different because I wanted to help the people who brought this to my attention. They said, how do we know how close the fire is? Because no matter what I tried, I could not figure it out. And I have talked with a colleague of mine through work who works, I can't tell you where he works, I'm sorry. He works with basically the people who do the fire maps. He works directly with the people who are dealing with the wildfires. And he told me that he didn't realize they weren't accessible. And he didn't realize that Oregon did not have anything for the blind to be able to know this information. And when I brought it up to him, I said, okay, you tell me if we can't read the fire map, how do we know how close that fire is? And he, he kind of, hub, 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 I don't know. So he came back at me and I have information now for anybody in Oregon. The way Oregon works with the wildfires is in order to find out information, you have to know what fire you're near, what fire is posing an issue to you. That's the first thing. Oregon has usually sets up a telephone number for every fire. Different. Every fire has a different telephone number. And what you do is you find out that telephone number and he says it's searchable on Google. You type in the fire and you look for the telephone number. And you call up that person and you say, I am visually impaired. I am in the path of this wildfire. I need to know information. And he says they are required to tell you. He said they actually would prefer to know, actually, that there are people with disabilities in the fire path because they can then watch you a little bit further. So if you're ever in a wildfire situation and you know that fire is close to your home, know what the name of the fire is 
and then find the telephone number and call up the number and they can get you information. And then he says, they'll be happy to give you information because you're giving them information to you about the people that are in danger. So just remember that, I mean, I don't know, I wasn't close to the fires, thankfully, but I had family members, but I didn't know the names of the fires. So uh, hopefully people are finding out the names of the fires because I didn't know the names of the fires locally. Um, so yeah, that is just, that's an organ specific. And I just, like I said, recently found this out within the last probably couple months when I asked the gentleman specifically and I said, I need you to tell me. And it was amazing how many people went, I never knew we didn't have anything in place. And I said, well, that's the way it works. <laughs> so just, just remember that if you ever have to evacuate. I don't want to go too far into my next subject, which is sheltering in place at home if there's a while, if there's any kind of thing that you can't get out. Because with this, you need food storage. And this is something I'm new at. And my husband, like I said, who was raised around disaster preparedness, says we need food storage. And when I say, well, what do we need? He says, ask my mom. <laughs> and when I ask his mom, his mom says, well, you need this, this, and this, and this. And I said, okay, I have that. And she says, okay, then you just need to add to it. I'm like, okay. Um, then I asked my husband, well, what else do you want me to buy? Ask my mom. So food storage, what I've learned, though, is don't buy things you don't eat. Okay, if you don't like spam, don't go buy spam because it's on sale. <laughs> if you don't like tuna fish, don't go buy tuna fish. But what I have learned is there's two different things with food storage, and that's you have to have the pre-made stuff that is already ready to eat. If you have a heat source that you can heat it up, great, but you can eat it straight out of the can. And then you have the stuff that you could cook. Because food storage is not just for a disaster. Food storage could be like COVID when the shelves were empty and we were needing food. It could mean, you know, that you are short one month and you don't have enough groceries in your house. And you go into your food storage to grab that can of, you know, pinto beans and the rice, and you're going to make some rice and beans. Food storage is not just for a disaster and anything you have. Don't think you have to have two years, three years, a year, anything you have that you can have brings you one meal or one food source closer than you would have been before. So, you know, if you're possible, you know, if you're buying, let's say, canned chicken for a reason, buy an extra can. And guess what? Now you've got one can. One can is at least one can. That's what I've learned. And it can be small, but any little bit. And I think that's for me with a person who has been on a budget, who doesn't necessarily know all about this, just baby steps. Because if you take it all into that you have to have two years, that feels very overwhelming to me. But knowing if I take just baby steps and I have one can of this or one meal, I know I at least have one more meal for my family to eat. You know, um, and we've all been through ice storms where it's dangerous to get out, wind storms, floods, anything you can have in your food storage would be great. Um, things that you might be able to take with you, even if you had to evacuate, which I'm going to go into that a little bit differently. 
there are stuff that you can eat that does not taste like cardboard. Um, there really is, I promise. Um, the last thing, which is actually what I was, I was carrying on my back, is my 72-hour go bag. Uh, my go bag weighs about 15 pounds, and it is in a backpack. Um, my husband, this is one thing my husband kept saying, we need to have 72-hour kits. We need to have 72-hour kits. And I said, well, what's in a 72-hour kit? What did he say? Ask my mom. <laughs> <laughs> that was the uh, thing I kept hearing was ask my mom. I don't know. Ask my mom, ask my dad, because um, he didn't know, but he knew we needed them. So I guess that was important to him. Um, it wasn't until probably about a year and a half ago, year ago, um, I was in a meeting, monthly meeting with my colleagues through my work, and I ended up winning a 72-hour go bag for two people. And they sent it to me. And my husband kept going, well, I don't know what's in that bag. And I said, well, look. And it ended up being a pre-made bag, 72-hour kit with everything you would need by Stealth Angel. Stealth Angel is a good company. It's not inexpensive, but at least it was a start for us. And we went through it. We customized it. We got rid of the sawdust food and put it in real food. <laughs> we got rid of the stuff in the first aid kit that was not going to work with my husband's allergies. And we put in new stuff. So we customized our go bag first. And we had this go bag sitting there. And then I said to my husband, well, wait, my guide dog needs a go bag. So then I ended up preparing my guide dog's go bag, which was very different because I was like, well, okay, I have to think of three days with her, but what she's on medication. So do I do three? Do I do five? I don't know. Um, you know, what does she need specifically for stress? What does she need specifically, you know, for her protection, her paw protection, or what happens if I can't get to her gear on the other side of our house? What am I going to do? So I, she had her own bag for a little bit, and we had, we had our 72-hour kit. And then my husband says, well, I need mine to be survival. Okay, fine. So we split off the bag. My go bag became mine and my guide dogs, and my husband's was his. I weighed my husband's go bag the other day. It does not have everything he wants in it. His go bag weighs 35 pounds. I said to him, well, I really hope you have the car because I don't think you can walk more than a mile with that bag on your back. <laughs> and he goes, well, that's a really good point. <laughs> he said, I said, well, I hope you have a car. Um, but I had to keep mine to the point where if I had to evacuate with just my guide dog and I, that I could walk with it on my back. So mine weighs 15 pounds. It has enough water for 72 hours for both my guide dog and I. It has food for both of us for 72 hours plus. Medications, it has a first aid kit that I've customized for her and I. So it has stuff that she uses, stuff that I would use. Mine has extra gear for her. Um, things that if I, like I said, if I can't get to the other side of my house where all of her extra gear is, I had to have extra, so it's in my bag, um, and I have room now. I've changed out the bag, and I have actually more room. The one thing I really need to add to this, and I keep needing to go buy a new one, is I really need to get an extra white cane in it. Um, I have two white canes, one's at work, one's at home, but if I can't get to my ear for her, I'm not going to be able to grab the white cane that sits over there, so I need to have one in my bag on the opposite side of the house. Um, 
I learned that that sawdust food does not look appetizing. It looks horrible. This is a brick. It's called superfood. It's a brick. And it says you must drink so much water with it. And I went, I don't think so. So I actually customized my bag with real food. So we have granola bars. We have protein bars. We have some trail mixes. I have pouches of flavored chicken. Because for me, what I realized is that when I have to evacuate, if I'm away from my home, I need comfort. I'm going to be stressed. I'm going to need to have some comfort items for myself. And for me, having barbecue chicken instead of regular chicken seems comforting. So that's what I did. And um, they make things, you'd be surprised in what you can find that is lightweight and you don't need a can opener with because all of the meat we have in our bag, all you do is open the pouch and it's freshly cooked. It's in there cooked everything. And I think they're good for about five years. So we don't have to replace everything in our go bag every six months. But I do look through my go bag every six months. Um, but, um, you know, 15 pounds, I could walk to the nearest, you know, fire station if I had to. I could probably walk to the nearest town, which would not be very fun, but it is possible uh, to get to more resources. And my husband still to this day doesn't get it. He goes, well, you need to have a tent. You need to have a, you know, a mylar blanket. You need to have this. And I said, I don't need to have anything. I said, be thankful I have something. And if I was not evacuating with you, who has the tent and the mylar blankets and the fire starters, if I was not evacuating with you, I'm not going to be hanging out in the woods for three days because that's not who I am. I'm not that person. I'm not going to do it. But there are some people who would. There are some people who would prefer to be survival versus just getting to a place that they can get to that has resources for them. But that's just not me. So when I'm thinking about anything in regards to disaster preparedness, it's personal. It's personal for your interests, your abilities, your you know abilities financially and maybe physically, and what you want to do. Because anything you can do, like I said, baby sense. Um, I have actually, I do have in my bag, if anybody is interested in looking at it, um, I actually have a fanny pack 36-hour kit. Lightweight, all fits into a fanny pack. It has food, water, first aid, and some extra stuff, not for my guide dog, for myself personally, but it's a, just a fanny pack. So um, if anybody is interested in looking at that, I do have that with me. Uh, and I was just able to create it with what I found around my house and a fanny pack I just happened to have. So um, if anybody does have any questions, uh, I'm here. I'm learning as I go. I am learning new things all the time. Um, and I am just wanting to spread any kind of awareness to disaster preparedness on a level for us, because I feel like if a person is sighted, they don't get it. And we know that. We know that people, unless you live our life, you don't get it. And I don't think my husband even gets it for me sometimes, because he'll sit there and look at me and go, I don't get it. But we know that unless you live our life, you don't. And that's why I want to help my community in being more prepared from a person with a vision impairment who gets it. Thank you. If anybody has any questions.
I'm more than welcome to answer them if I can. Um, I am, like I said, anytime I've been doing presentations and people have questions, I've been trying to go to the people who I know can answer them for me. And so, we do have a hand in Zoom. You said earlier that if you find you're in the pathway of a fire and you call the guy, you got to tell him the name of the fire. Yes, that's what I was told. How do you find out the name? It's no, it's called, I believe, the Cedar Creek Fire. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, so, you, find that out? you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that is a good question because I was like wondering, like, because I don't know the names of these fires. I would imagine, um, and I wasn't in the path of the fire, so I don't know from before when the emergency, you know, alerts were coming out if it said the fire. I know that on my phone um, for this fire specifically, we're getting the smoke from it in my area. So I have like the air quality alerts and it says specifically from the Cedar Creek fire. So I do believe there is a place online that has the list. Um, I would also imagine if you do not know what fire it is, um, you can search Oregon wildfires. And I believe it. I can't. I'm trying to remember. I think it brings up the forestry department. And I would imagine you can probably call them up and say, all I'm looking for is the name, the name of the fire and who I need to call because I need to talk to somebody specifically for my fire. Um, and they, I'm sure, would answer it, especially if you said, you know, that, you know, you just don't know the name because they're going to want to help you um, is what the gentleman told me. That's what I'm telling you. That's <laughs> what he said to me. Uh, but yeah, finding the name I'm not sure. I don't know. Like I said, I wasn't in the alerts for all of the wildfires, so I don't know if when the alerts came through, if they actually said the name of the fire or not. If anybody knows that? Anybody has any extra insight? I'm always up for learning. Okay, we do have a question on Zoom, too. Okay. All right, Marja Pires, you can speak. This is, this is Marja. Uh, just a really quick question. How do you feel, what's your opinion about packing water versus a water purification system since water's heavy yeah i mean it, i guess again i think it's a personal choice in my bag i have water pouches uh, not water bottles water pouches but what i also have is i have a collapsible water bottle because um again for me um getting to a location um, that has resources for me is my priority not to go out for survival. And the idea is, is and this is, I've learned this from um, actually my work has recently um, been designated as a resource center for Benton County. Um, and during these resource centers, um, when there's a fire, they're deployed and they go into action. And the emergency, Benton County Emergency Management comes into our building and they have water, they have food, they have other lists of resources and everything. So, like I said, for me, I mean, my husband wants purification tablets and he keeps saying we need to buy them. So um, I'm good for whatever. Um, I think it's all dependent on what kind of space you have as well and how um, heavy you are able to carry because um, having it to be hands-free without a car, if you don't have a car um, or a sighted person with you, um, what you're bringing is different. And I do know they have like purification straws as well, but there is assembly required. 
So, um, like I said, I think I, I've come at this with this is a personal thing, and not everything that is good for me is good for you or my husband or my daughter because we all have different needs, we all have different abilities, and we all have different, you know, financial situations that we can do things with. So, I think both are great. Um, you know, if you are, if you think you're going to be near a water source, I think purification tablets are probably great. Um, and they're not very big. Um, but remember, if you do purification tablets, you have to have a container to put the water in. So right. um, just remember that. So if you do decide to buy purification tablets, make sure you have the container that they go in. Because uh, you can't have, you know, you purify the whole stream. That doesn't work. Um, so just remember that I found, my husband actually found collapsible water bowl, water bottles, kind of similar to a collapsible water bowl for dogs, but it's a water bottle. Um, and it's pretty cool. And I just have it clipped to my backpack just in case I have the chance of having, you know, a resource where I can just fill up my water bottle instead. Thank you. And I appreciate that as a guide dog user who is single, lives alone, and I also have weight restrictions on what I can carry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So my husband, uh, he actually found these collapsible uh, water bottles. They're, they're like silicone, like the dog bowls. And uh, they collapse pretty small and they have a carabiner that you attach to your uh, backpack. And uh, they collapse probably, um, probably half the size of a soda can, maybe. I have to look at my bag. Um, they don't, but they, you unscrew the top and then they stretch out and then you can, uh, so they have like a locking mechanism for them being small and then being tall. Um, so they're pretty cool though. I, my husband bought them for me because I said, I want one of these. Um, and I actually saw it, somebody traveling with one, um, they were traveling on an airplane and you can't bring water, you know, through TSA, but you can get water on the other side. So instead of bringing an empty water bottle that took up room in their bag, they just brought a collapsible water bottle. And I went, that is ingenious. And I want one. And I think they were two packs for not super expensive. Oh, great idea. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So, Andrew, I'll uh, ask a couple of questions of you. Sure. Uh, so you mentioned that you... If a natural disaster strikes, you are going to go down to your local fire department. I am. Well, that's if I'm at home. Yeah. So yeah, I understand. So if I'm at home, I will. I understand. If I'm at work, yeah. I'm going to stay at work. Yes, that's what but, we do. But the question is: Have you talked to your fire department? And they know you're going to be coming. I'm in the process of doing that. Okay. We. Uh, I live in a very small town, and I want to say ours is volunteer. Right. <laughs> and that is my plan. Um, that is my plan. I'm working right now. I live in Lynn County, but I work in Benton County, and I'm working on um, doing that along with um, talking with Benton County um, in regards to like the emergency management side. And I've been talking with the emergency manager on like things you should do and should not do. Um, and just trying to figure out, you know, that fine line by, do you tell somebody you're visually impaired or do you not? Because you don't want, you know, raiders to come into your house thinking, well, you're not going to see me. So there's, I think, a fine line. <laughs> and like I said, if I, if I evacuated from my house, I would either look for, you know, a resource center or the fire department, um, because they're hopefully going to be able to help me uh, because 
where else? I like to say I live in the middle of the country. Um, I can make it to the fire station and maybe into the bigger town. And then I'm stuck. I couldn't go any further. Yeah, it just seems advantageous to me if they knew you were coming and you had a plan with them. And they knew in case of a natural disaster, you would be showing up. At yeah, yeah, that's my plan. I've been meaning to talk to them actually for a while. Uh, and I just, I, you know, life got busy. <laughs> COVID released and I went busy, so. All right, anybody Michael. else? This is Michael with a quick question. Yeah. Uh, as I'm sure you know, uh, in the midst of a natural disaster or something that's occurring, things definitely can change. Have you practiced or, or have you considered practicing multiple routes to your fire department in case something prevents you from being able to make it there? Here's the thing. In my area, there's only one way to get there. Gotcha. Um, now, if I'm at work and I had to go to the nearest fire station, there's multiple ways to get there. And I know the ways to get there. And it was very interesting because I was talking with somebody, colleague of mine in the disaster preparedness part of my job, and which is not my job, it's just part of my job. <laughs> and um, I was talking to her about, you know, things look very different in a natural disaster. May it be an earthquake or stuff, there could be stuff in your path. And how many people, um, I, know, I know for me, like if I had to go to the fire station from work, I would be going, you know, three blocks down and I'd be going four blocks to the left. You know, I don't look at the street signs, of course, you know, and oh, we have to cross that creek. But to tell us, I, I asked one of my colleagues, I said, so if you had to evacuate from your house and walk to the nearest fire station. How would you get there? Oh, well, I'd go down to this street and then I'd turn left and I'd go down to this. Well, how do you know what street that is if the street sign is down? And she looked at me and she went, wow, I don't know. Yeah. So I said, did it go out? Okay. Yeah, it looks like we lost batteries, but don't worry, I have a fix. All Save right. me. <laughs> yeah, if you hear me that, I don't know. It's right Replace here. batteries. There you go. So I said, I said to her, I said, yeah. I said, because I'm going to be looking for the big tree on the corner that may or may not be in the road. I'm going to be listening for the creek that you have to cross to get there. And I'm going to be feeling for the pavement and the curbs on the street that may be rocky. And she said, I would not even have thought of that. So uh, yeah, I if there's more than one route to get there, and again, I have plans depending on where I'm at and depending on who I'm with um, of where I'm going. So I have multiple plans in my head. Um, like I said, my husband has different plans. And I said to him the other day, I said, if we ever had to evacuate our house and the neighboring town where I work was accessible, that's where we're going. And he looked at me and he said, why? And I said, because... It's in a neighboring town, first of all. I said, we're a resource center, which means Benton County is going to be going into my job. And there's a higher chance of us having water and electricity and a structure over our head because of the way my work is built. And he said, oh, that's a good idea. So uh, <laughs> because I never would have thought of that. And that actually happened when the ice storm hit. Um, our neighboring town did not lose power, but we did. And I said, if we're evacuating from our house, we're going to my job. He says, why? And I said, because they have heat. And he went, oh, well, okay. Then, and I said, then they have bathrooms and they have electricity and all of that. And same with the heat. When we had the main massive heat, um, my work has a basement. And I said, it's a lot cooler in the basement than it is anywhere else. And I said, that's where we're going. And he goes, okay. 
So uh, he has different ideas. And of course, I think we all do. Like I said, we all have different ideas. Disaster preparedness, I'm finding, is not one size fits all. And it does not fit in the same box as everybody else's does. And I think people who uh, do not live with limitations or different abilities, limitations isn't the word I want, but who live with different abilities don't realize that um, it doesn't look the same for every person. And they just don't realize it um, until you bring it up. And then they go, I don't know how to deal with that. So. All right, thank you. Anybody else have any questions? Thank you, Andrea. Yeah, no problem. Like I said, if anybody wants to feel how heavy my go bag is, it's up here. It's on my back just a little bit ago. All right. Um, as you probably all know, we've, we've discussed natural hazard preparedness for many years in our organization. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I remember our conference in, in uh, Seven Feathers, uh, probably 20, 20 years, some years ago, where we had a lady from Breezeport who was in my chapter come in and do a demonstration on, I think she was probably the original go back lady. Uh, and and, we, and we've had several conversations, like they said, and it, it may behoove us to continue these conversations because you never know. And Andrea, I don't know if you are a member of ACB, but I am not. Well, I was actually asked to present after I did presentations at the Hull Foundation. Good. Well, you because might the joining us and you could be our, our natural habitat coordinator. Yeah, <laughs> I have I have a um, connection with a person who worked very closely with the Umatilla's floods. Yeah. And uh, she was actually contacted through the Hull Foundation because she lives on the coast. Right. And when she was presented, she came up to me and she went, oh, no, I need Andrea instead. And so that's how I got connected with the ACB uh, was through that. So I'm okay. not a member of the ACB, um, but I am more than willing to do presentations on anything and continue to uh, grow my knowledge and grow, you know, because it's constantly evolving with everything. All right. We'll keep you in mind. Maybe in the future, we'll be working with you. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Yeah. And Leonard. Um, you had a question? In the Coos Bay area, uh, regards to the, the fires that are named, we have a lot of news on Channel 4 with the Coos Bay and uh, Bay Val and Channel 6 with Eugene, Channel 9, Rosenberg and Oregon Spot, Channel 13. And they're always talking about where the fires are and what their names are. But if you don't listen to the news, there's no apology. But uh, I know when the fire is going, the news is always talking about it. Yeah. Sure. Lisa, your mic. I'm trying to find you. There you go. Um, Andrea was on a Zoom call some time and I, I asked her about the thing with the fires because I was you who did okay <laughs> I was like I know somebody did and I searched out that information was so for you to hear you say that I did I actually searched out a couple different times and the first time he didn't say anything to me and then I knew I was coming into some presentations this fall and I said I need you to get me this information and I was on a zoom call with him and I said I need it now he went I'll email you and he did 
So that's why I was able to get so that information because it was one of those questions that somebody you asked. So the history of this, you guys, is I was in the way of a fire and we were getting close to needing to evacuate and no car access to do that and trying to figure out how in the world were we going to evacuate. And, you know, we decided that if, you know, we got the first level of it, we were taking off then. Because what I found out is like at the first level, it's what they give you an hour. And the second one, it's half an hour. And the third one, it's five minutes. And um, so, you know, I was really panicking. The fire got about 15 miles from my house. And I was trying to find fire information online. wasn't working. My sister would try to, you know, look them up. But they, the, mile, the fire got about a mile from my sister's house. And my niece and her family evacuated to my sister's house. And the next day, they all had to evacuate. But, um, you know, there was just, and there was no apps to find out any information. And he says there still isn't. No, and. and not as not like as it, it, he's like, well, people can find the evacuation notices. I said, well, that's great. But how do you know how far the fire is away from your house? Right. And he's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and even and for somebody who's, I mean, I'm partially sighted, so I could, I could look at the map. They were still hard yeah. to figure out, even as a partially sighted person. And they were happening fast enough that they couldn't even accurately keep up with it for sighted people. And I would call Ira and have them look at the fire maps and they're trying to like figure out how to look at the fire maps. And, you know, every time I got a new agent, they would have to try to figure it out because they're not obvious. No. And, and, you know, and I put out on my iPhone list, does anybody know, you know, apps? And everybody's like, no, but I found out like three people within an hour of where I lived that were struggling with the same problem. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when Andrea was on our call last year, and I asked it was her early that, this year, early like, this six year, six months ago, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I am so grateful <laughs> that you have that information because it's a step in the right direction. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm done. Who wants it? There you go. Okay. Any other questions or comments on this topic? Well, we thank you, uh, Andrew, for coming and sharing. Oh, did we have somebody else that piped in? Somebody else? Was there no. Someone else? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I just thought I heard something. Okay. I was like, we're good. Okay. All right. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you.